Welcome to the Story Tinker Podcast, a place for in-depth analysis of Webtoon stories. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character struggles, relationship development, and of course, theories. You can follow the Story Tinker on YouTube, podcast platforms, and social media. For bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support the Story Tinker on Patreon. We are really appreciative of your likes, subscribes, and follows on all platforms. Thank you for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of the Purple Hyacinth podcast on The Story Tinker. It's titled Conspicuous Circus, and today we are with Inspirational and Monique. So I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, Go on, you first. (laughs) So I'm inspirational. I do Purple Hyacinth chapter reviews. I've been on before. You'll see me later in episode 44. So uh, it's fun being on here. Yeah, and definitely uh, check out inspirational's um, videos. They're short oh, yeah. and accessible. So check them out on YouTube. Uh, hi, I'm Monique. I, uh, I run a voice acting channel called Voice Acting Cafe and we do a dub of Purple Hyacinth. Um, and I voice Lauren, so, so yeah. <laughs> it's very cool and very impressive. And every time I listen to it, I'm like, whoa, this was a lot of effort. And Monique just confirmed, indeed, it is a lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so definitely check that out as well. And I'll put links to both of your channels in the show notes. All right, well, we are beginning season two with a bang <laughs> because Lauren is just huffing and puffing out of her argument with Kieran. And she's running down the hallway. She's putting her coat on. She's highly agitated and distressed. Like there's this murderous glance in her eyes. <laughs> she is glaring. And she has to wipe that off her face because Will opens the door and he's like, hey, Lauren, can I have a moment? It's like, of course, Will, what is it? So she like has to go from 60 to zero as opposed to before where she definitely went from zero to 60. And he's like, is everything all right? It's not like you to be late. And <laughs> so that's nice of Will to show concern. And if I'm recalling correctly, because I said there's a time skip, this was, you know, she met Tim Sake this morning. So she got knocked out. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty significant. But Lauren, being Lauren, does not like to admit to anything happening. And, <laughs> you know, Will is being all nice and considerate. He's like, look, you, you don't need to tell me. But Kim just pops out of there and starts <laughs> yelling. He's like, okay, what happened this morning, Lauren? <laughs> Two very different approaches. It was and a nice uh, parallel to uh, the beginning of season one when Lauren first got hurt. Uh, against Kirian and they were having their back and forth bickering and their two different ways of showing concern so we're getting a little mm-hmm. bit of a callback again at the beginning of season two it's really nice to mm-hmm. see him also like slam Will out of the way the first time for <laughs> 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 Will he's totally abused his like shoulder is shaking he's clutching it like he is in pain <laughs> she doesn't even notice Kim just like your eye bags are so heavy they're mopping the floor like <laughs> Way to be complimentary, him. Doesn't acknowledge that he's in utter pain right now. Yeah, doesn't notice details about Lauren, but well, uh-uh. <laughs> it's like, but you're never late, even if you haven't slept a week. What's up? And she, so she knows that Lauren is like not a great sleeper. 
<laughs> finally, finally, Kim's like, oh, hi, Lieutenant. You okay there? He's like, what the heck? Like, you didn't even notice. He's like, you just slammed a door into me, Liddell. And she's like, who the hell slams into that stands in a doorway? A lot of people. Well, sorry for not having x-ray eyes. And they're just arguing back and forth. And meanwhile, Lauren is just looking off to the side because she is mentally occupied and um, physically, obviously, as well. So in both regards, she's not doing so well. And she just makes up some excuse while she's rubbing her head, which is clearly hurting her. She says, there was some trouble at the street stall, so I tried to intervene. I think I hit my head on something. Maybe that's why I look so tired. It'll all be, it'll all resolve very quickly though. So really no need to worry. And that's Lauren's typical, you know, she doesn't want people to worry about her. doesn't want people to pay attention. She just tries to be strong all the time and be independent and do everything on her own. And she gave just enough information to like, kind of work out like a scenario that she wants, but not enough to obviously tell them it, it's safe, yeah. right? She can't, she can't flat out say that. Yeah, she keeps things to herself. I mean, and especially knowing who it is, she probably would keep it to herself, even if it wasn't sake, if it was some other person related to her family, but like, especially sake, she can't mm -hmm. really show that she had interaction with him. Mm -hmm. And Kim's like, you hit your head. No wonder the new hot archivist didn't interest you. <laughs> it's not you. It's the concussion. This is bad. Because Kim's like, you know, you must all appreciate people in the same way that I do. <laughs> Whereas I'm pretty sure Lauren, even if he, even if she hadn't known Kieran at all, even if he indeed was just a new hot archivist, I don't think she would pay him any mind. <laughs> no, I don't think she would either. Especially with the sass. Like, she's already not like up for it so in any setting she wouldn't be she wouldn't be friends with Garen for sure yeah. she doesn't really strike me as the person who is too um interested in like dating um you know in the beginning like it's clear she's dating for her uncle to do him a favor mm -hmm. um she just seems to be too preoccupied and just she doesn't seem to be into that in this stage in her life mm -hmm. and <laughs> but She's like, no, Kim, I'm perfectly clear-headed. She's, you know, kind of her hands are shaking. She kind of tells she's trying to control herself of like, get away from me <laughs> while she's like removing her hands. And Will at this point steps in, he shoves her, shoves Kim to the back. He's like, you better get checked out at the infirmary. Give her some space, Kim. You can skip patrol for today. So Will is a little bit giving her a taste of her own medicine, <laughs> giving Kim, you know, like shoving her. <laughs> always will that seems to keep Kim in check he's always when Lauren's just about to get annoyed he always just seems to step in right that's enough <laughs> yeah he does, does things the proper way like he's not overly intrusive he is respectful he is calm um, and he still wants her to be healthy but he doesn't push things on her mm -hmm. um, well I guess except that he does right now because she's like no will I'd rather not and, but then he's like, eh, it's my responsibility to take care of you. And he's writing, you know, writing something down on a notebook. There's no way I'd let you on a patrol knowing there's a risk you're injured. Scratches it off, takes it, gives him the note and says, here, take this. You're officially on break. Kim behind him is looking extremely resentful. <laughs> this was a really nice scene for me, especially for William, because throughout season one, he's shown off as a lieutenant in the 7th district. Are we in the 7th? Yeah. No, 11th district. Yeah. Um, but Will never felt to me like a lieutenant. It felt like he was just there 
but this is the first time that we see him actually take charge as the superior officer in the unit. So this is a really nice moment for me. Yeah, I actually, I'm assuming, I'm not very familiar with the rank, so I'm assuming that it's Sergeant and then Lieutenant, right? So he's above, above mm -hmm. Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, he insists he, which I think is completely correct of him because um, you do need to take care of your head <laughs> if it gets injured. And, you know, Lauren accepts that. She's not too happy about it, but she just realizes, you know, she's lost this battle. And she's like, there's really no way around you. Is there? Snatches the paper from him. And, you know, Will's so happy. He's so cute. He gets a smile. He's like, he's happy she's taking care of herself. I love it. It's very sweet. He like he looks the kind of he's the kind of person who derives joy from doing the right thing. I think, mm -hmm. yeah, and I like that a lot. <laughs> he's a good boy. <laughs> and now we have this view of people on the bridge and outside, and Will and Kim and the patrol unit are patrolling. And Kim says, "I'm worried about Lauren. She hit her head. There's something more going on there." Mm -mm -mm. And Kim is too smart for her own good. Yep. Mm -hmm. She knows, like when Lauren's obfuscating, like her answer was like, mm, too big. <laughs> you think Lauren... that Lauren would be good at lying, but she's not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, she seems to be in general, like, a very truthful person and people who don't have experience with lying don't do it well. And um, I know I relate, like I've lied like four times in my life and all of them were, um, no, three, it was only three. Um, anyway, they were all like very, very, like pretty good reasons. And I just don't do it. Right. And my husband's like, yeah, like, what do you mean? You're like, I lie all the time. I'm like, well, really? Excuse me. Like, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, so yeah, people who don't lie, like they just don't know how to do it, you know? And she's like a blunt hammer. She doesn't like, I totally understand that my, my mom's Israeli and I grew up with that. Like there's, they don't lie. They just tell you to their face. Like, oh, your outfit looks horrible on you. Like, don't wear purple. You look like a cow. Like, <laughs> These were, these were like standard comments that I, I got growing up because it's like, just tell you the truth. They're like, why, mm -hmm. like, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. So they don't know how to say, and I think Lauren's like that. She's very direct and she's very blunt. So yeah, I don't think she's a good liar. Yeah. Yeah, like, because she's quite direct and blunt for her to be like so vague about something is obviously quite out of her character. So I can see why Kim was quite, you know, picked up on that. It's one thing to lie to people who don't know you well, but it is very hard to lie to people who know you well. That's true. And Will, even Will, are like, who strikes me sometimes as a bit, I wouldn't say naive, but a little naive or a little bit less, less cynical, I guess, um, than other people. Even he agrees and he's like, yeah, I think so too. She has to get it checked out, of course. But even if it's nothing, it's being, I think spending a day on bed rest might be good for her. Why did you think I insisted? Sometimes you just got to find a way to force a break on her. And that is, that is even sweeter than before. Because he recognizes she, that she just overworks herself all the time. And like we've seen that she, she really hasn't gotten a break at all this entire season. Or mm -hmm. this entire story at this point. So it's nice that like those that are close to her know how to handle like when she's at her breaking point and put her in a place that she can rest up yeah it's great it's also I like seeing well I like seeing people but especially will take a deliberate action because for me my biggest um concern the biggest character 
trait that I think Will has to work on is standing up for himself and making choices that affirm himself and taking himself into consideration. So this is not quite for himself, right? This is for someone else. But to see him take decisive action makes me very proud of him because it's it's a step in the right direction. You know, if you take firm action and believe in something enough to carry it out, hopefully it'll eventually translate into his own life, which is what we're all hoping for him. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and even like the pose in which they draw him, you can tell like they're framing him as as somebody who made a forceful decision. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot about like <clears throat> power dynamics and um, and people's personalities in terms of their, you know, who's, who's a leader and, and people's will. It's something that I see observe a lot in life in terms of different personalities. And so this pose that they put him in is a very powerful pose and he's like gazing off in the distance. So it's giving him that, that's a power that he usually doesn't have because he's usually more meek. Yeah, hopefully we see more. And he's like, huh, I see, not bad, not bad at all. I could actually respect you for this, Lieutenant. And I mean, it does have that effect. Like when people are strong-minded, people respect them. And even Kim, who, you know, doesn't, I think, lend out respect so easily. He's like, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> So, because she is also teasing him at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and now Kim spots something exciting. She's like, oh, what's that? She points and we have these like exclamation marks all around her. And indeed, what does she see? She sees this beautiful um, image with like this, these banners and it says Circus Royale. Exciting. There's these it's just a whole crowd gathered. You see some, you know, even just from the entrance is like a fence around it. And it seems like a very exciting scene. And now we see um, several vignettes of the circus. We have what well, looks like a giant pizza wheel on the floor, but it is not, it is I guess, some rug. Uh, I love pizza. So, and I did not eat lunch yet. So I'm like, <laughs> maybe a little hungry, <laughs> but. <laughs> it does look like pizza, you're right. And we have a bunch of these little carriages and with various circus-like things. And there's these, you know, looks like food carts and it's under the bridge and it's like an exciting scene. And Kim is super excited, which Kim circus, totally not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> she gets these like diamonds in her eyes and she <laughs> runs. And we have this person on a unicycle balancing on um, this beam saying, lovely, welcome, lovely people of Art Hollis, welcome. We are Circus Royale. And again, we have um, somebody, you know, like leaning down from this, this beam, you know, on her knees. And we have the Circus Master, who is a lovely woman. <laughs> Inspirational, yeah, do you is. want to talk about her? <laughs> oh, Athena? Yeah, she's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, um, she is the attender. Yeah, go attender. ahead. <laughs> Wait, attender? I was. I think isn't the is the word well, not like or so, not the attender, but the the ringleader. I don't. I don't know. No, the announcer. Is announcer is the right word for it. She's the announcer. Yeah, she's cool. She... Great design. I love. I love the suit. It's a very powerful pose. I actually really like this uh, introduction because it shows three different layers of the circus in three different stages. We have the one up top that's balancing the second. That's also balancing, but in a different case. And there's Athena with their arms out. So it's very nice. Definitely visually, it is a nice distraction 
because, you know, we were used, Purple Heisen has like, you know, different settings like the APD, Lawrence House, like the interrogations, but definitely color wise, they're usually, you know, more somber toned, brown, dark blue, purple, night toned, a lot of stuff takes place at night. Um, even though the APD is pretty gray toned and neutral. So the circus provides just even visually a nice chance to put in color and interest. And there's a lot of red, like spread out throughout this entire chapter, which is nice because mm -hmm. we know how symbolic red as a color is for a story. So seeing it not just in speech bubbles is a really nice touch. Yeah. So And then red also is used for blood a lot. So. Mm -hmm. There's um, also that. <laughs> It gives them this very kind of like powerful and almost almost kind of regal look to them and kind of, you know, they're in control. They have this power. It's very, very fitting. Their name is the Circus Royale. So mm -hmm. that, I mean, we can discuss more of the title later when we learn more about the circus, but mm -hmm. is it a little ironic? Mm -hmm. I don't know, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll get to that later. And she says, here's a taste of our upcoming show. The theme killer of the glorious Nemean lion. And we have um, a guy with a lion there, a beast whose hide could not be pierced by any human weapon. It's the man, the myth, the legend, Heracles, which is a Greek way of saying Hercules. And here we have this man, you know, broad chested, wearing mm, combination of ancient and cartoony circus outfits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> and, you know, looking extremely stern and the lion's next to him. And he tells the lion, sit down, and he does, and, you know, applause. So just right off the bat, like, there's a lot of symbolism in that. Um, by the way, frankly, I have a very big prejudice against circuses. I think they're, obviously, there's a whole issue of animal abuse, which is, I'm glad that many circuses have stopped using animals. But um, I've never liked circuses. And to me, as soon as I saw this whole thing, it right away had an ominous feel. And I don't know if it's, like, this, this association we have. Maybe like, you know how clowns, they're supposed to be funny, but they're often very tragic. And like people have this freaky association with circuses, with clowns. I kind of have that with circuses. And um, I don't know if, if it's just my internal prejudice. Did you also get a freaky vibe right away? Like a suspicious vibe right away? Or or like, is that just my thing? <laughs> no, it definitely has a sort of ominous feel to it. I guess like, especially with Heracles, his, his kind of posture and expression isn't, the kind that you'd see in like a light-hearted circus it's very stern it's very very strong and it's not something again you'd see in something so light-hearted and, and free as they're trying to make it out to be I yeah. think for me it was just the introduction of so many characters that usually if if it was supposed to be something light-hearted or something we wouldn't have all these name drops of all these mm -hmm. different characters so clearly yeah. these characters play some kind of role in the future we don't know exactly what role they'll play but that was enough for me to exactly and so for me the symbolism i see in having like this being the first thing introduced the first act introduced so it's called circus royale right so presumably you can say oh they named it to be like hey we're performing for the royals and obviously we know that um this is a little but a little earlier there were the circus sorry the royals always had in throughout history had a you know the, their court and they would have their jesters and their clowns, and they had this built-in entertainment for them. So the way that they title their circus, it sounds like, oh, we're here to entertain the royals, you know, and it's very, like, royal-centric, and, um, you know, the royals are the center of our society, and we must, you know, give them entertainment first before we give to the masses. But then the very first thing that they introduce is the lion being tamed. Now, obviously, it's a classic circus act, but 
the, the, this clear symbolism, a lion is always considered to be the king of the jungle and the most powerful of beasts. And the fact that he is tamed so you know easily by humans and he's bowing down to the human, to the common class, circus people are always considered lower class. They're considered like the performers are like the lowest class. So the fact that the royal animal is bowing down to the lowest class to me shows a little bit of like, can we guess that this whole circus is perhaps wishing to subvert the class hierarchy in our hollows? Mm-hmm. It's very much kind of a, the way the it, it wasn't just so much the taming the lion, but the fact that the lion like sat down and then bowed as well. It's a very kind of submissive kind of thing that the lion's doing. They're very much like uh, Heracles, or as you said, the symbolism of this, you know, this, this, I don't know, people is very like kind of strong and overpowering. And then we'll it's see a sad it. lion too. Yeah, it's a very sad. Lion. We'll see mm-hmm. it more uh, when Kim gets involved. Um, and I'll talk about it more, but that's clear, like, show of, like, just, like, screw the establishment, like, we're playing with you, like, we are the mm-hmm. ones in control, this could be your space, but we have set up and we've taken over to provide entertainment for the people. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then she continues with introducing the next act, she says, floating in the sky, twisting and bending the breeze to his will, our graceful aerialist, Zephyr, Zephyr. And do we have somebody, you know, on the, or what is it called? I forget what that's called when you have like go up and down that silk rope thing. Oh, uh, aerobatics? Okay, sure. No, <laughs> I think there's but, like an actual word for it, but I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head. And then do you guys, so I'm trying to think, we probably should get, talk a little bit about these people in the Greek um, the yeah, Zephyr is the uh, the god of sleep, I believe. So Heracles, I don't really know much except that he was obviously very strong. Um, that's really all I know about him. And he had the, the trials and stuff like that. So then she says, accompanied by our lovely blindfolded pianist, and we have some music playing, and Apollo. And Apollo is playing um, the music, blindfolded. Apollo is the god of the sun. It's really I read Laura Olympus now, so that's how much I know about <laughs> about Greek gods. And I mean, I read them when I was. He's also crazy. Apollo is also really into music, so it fits that the pianist oh, is okay. Uh, Apollo. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, he is a, a blonde-haired guy with a you know a vest. What is that pattern called? Argyle. And Kim is delightedly munching on a watermelon while observing this. She's thrilled, and Will is. <laughs> frustrated <laughs> yeah and there's you know the guy selling ketchup and watermelon and pickles behind them uh, well-known <laughs> brands too by the way just <laughs> cute and she's watching and we have you know all of them we have the person on the unicycle we have the person balancing we have little zephyr up there athena introducing and she says on the parallel poles the mighty huntress who never misses her target artemis who is somebody who was who um, good with her bow. What I, yeah, she, I, Apollo is with the moon, or sorry, Apollo is with the sun as Artemis is with the moon. So mm-hmm. I, I want to say they're twins or they're siblings they or something, yeah. but I'm not sure. Yeah. Again, all I know is from, uh, all I know is from Laura Olympus, but they are right. siblings. So. Okay. <laughs> I know there's like many different, there's not necessarily like one version of the Greek myth. So I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm not, but I'm not rereading anything until I finish Laurel Olympus until it's done. Cause I'm like, I don't want to know what's going to happen. So I'm not reading any version of the Greek myths until it's all done. Makes sense. I mean, I read when I was a kid, but like, yeah, anyway, mm. not, don't remember much. 
So Artemis is, uh, she's got this light hair and she has these two pigtails, it's really cute. And she's balancing. And then she says, and Morpheus, the magician whose tricks will make you wonder if you're dreaming. That also to me is like also suspicious because it's like, it's taking you out of reality and it's kind of blinding you and making you, it's a little bit like fooling you, especially this part. And like, and like in this world, we don't know if like magic actually exists. So this is most likely misdirection or some sort of trick there. So I can also play into it. And he looks like he's the guy on the unicycle and he's yeah. throwing knives around and um, Artemis is catching the knife. So she, while, you know, standing on one hand, a lot of strength, a lot of power and, you know, daggers associated with our, you know, death and killing. So, you know, it's a dangerous object that they're playing around with, which is another reason people are attracted to the circus, but also to me lends, again, more ominous tones to the circus. And like this shot composition of um, Morpheus and Artemis is really cool because it looks like he's literally carving out a piece of Artemis in the panel that they're in. So yeah. it fits with the knives as well. Yeah, it's actually, it's funny. I just realized like the wheel is exactly in the space between her, her torso mm -hmm. and her shoulder, as her mm -hmm. arms, yeah, it's really well done. And now we get some pretty crucial exposition Kim says, ooh, Circus Royale, isn't that Viscount Redcliffe's thing? And he's the one throwing the big ball in February, right? And we flash back to when Herman says, also by the end of this week, I want volunteers to work security for Viscount Redcliffe's annual ball on February 17th. And Will affirms, yes, Redcliffe built the Circus Royale company from scratch 15 years ago, started out leading a band of homeless orphans in Grey Chapel, and now Redcliffe's one of the richest men in the city. That's how he bought the Decount title. Okay, so what do you guys make of all this? A lot here, a lot here. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the first thing is that the the panel that we got the callback from is from episode seven. Uh, that's when we got announced that there's there was going to be a ball, and it's for Redcliffe. And I think the big thing is the years, fifteen years, and that he bought a title. So it shows that you can use money to climb the hierarchy and it's not as static as we thought it was because we saw the royal family in the 40s and that's pretty much it we don't really know much about the structure of art hollis but here we see one way of climbing up the social ladder mm -hmm. and okay, go ahead monique oh i was gonna say um the fact that he it said it started out leading a band of homeless orphans in Grey Chapel, it it's like he, you know, he with all this money, you know, that he had, you know, he bought his title and whatever, and now he's really rich or whatever. Um, I don't know, just the whole kind of starting the band with like homeless orphans in Grey Chapel, it just seems kind of you know, the fact that there are homeless orphans in the first place, and you know, the fact that he can prey on like quote unquote a band of them is very fitting to say that, like, you know. I don't know, in Grey Chapel, there probably shouldn't be, you know, homeless orphans that he could have preyed on to kind of make the circus, you know? And if they go into the circus, you know, like, do they, homeless orphans, do they ever, you know, do they ever, I don't know, does he treat them better? You know, it just, it, it, for some reason, there's something about it that kind of seems like, oh, I'm picking up homeless orphans, you know? Like, it it just doesn't speak, as, he's not saying like, oh, he's picked up people from Grey Chapel. Homeless orphans just suggest that, like, there's something lesser about that. So 
I know when I first was, when we first started talking about the circus, which is actually now, um, we've, we've done a lot of episodes later um, that kind of like deal with this. And at this point in the story, I was neutral about, as I said, we don't have enough information to, to judge what is going on because it's very possible that by Redcliffe picking up these orphans, he was giving them shelter and food, which they consistently, which doesn't seem like they would have had if they were living on the streets. So I was like, okay, let's hold judgment. We don't know anything. And obviously, presumably kids like being in the circus. So it's like, it's exciting. You know, it's fun. <laughs> it's not like they have to sit in school and like read books. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, you know, let's hold off. These people don't seem to be, you know, unhappy that, that we can see, right, as of now. But definitely something to keep an eye on. <laughs> the yeah, fact that I he felt the- a lot of money off this. Yeah, I felt the same way because I was pretty neutral about it because we don't know if he was also in Great Chapel as part of them and then he banded a group together because it, it isn't clear. And it's also technically hearsay coming from Kim, right? Now, obviously, this might not be how it actually happened. This is what the official story after a decade, you know, reporters come like, oh, how did you start the Circus Royale? This is the story that he tells. So we don't know exactly what went down back. 15 years ago, which is five before the uh, train bombing. So things were different then. There was no uh, uh, phantom sight then. Mm-hmm. The whole him saying like uh, leading a band, it, I don't know, it just seems very like, you know, he, in, in my head, I've got this image of he goes up to these homeless orphans and say, you know, I'll give you food, I'll give you the shelter, but you need to join the circus. And it doesn't seem like there's too much of a choice there. Because obviously if they don't, they're going to, you know, they're probably not going to survive. It seems very kind of forced. That's true. Definitely the fact that there's no like social services stepping in to take care of these kids. And it's left up to a private individual, like who, you know, maybe doesn't have their best interest in mind. We don't know, is mm, not good. Does not speak to Adhalis very well. (laughs) So, now we continue with looking more at the circus. Um, we have somebody, you know, throwing daggers into, you know, a bullseye, and it's um, Artemis, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have who's that person up at the top? That's Mor- Morpheus, right? Morpheus, the red necktie. Yeah. So Morpheus lifts up the finger, takes something out of the hat, and takes a bow and arrow out of the hat. And, you know, while on the unicycle, you know, brandishes it, um, Artemis does this, like, fake excited face and balances on the beam, uses her legs <laughs> while balancing on her hands to aim the arrow. And everyone's watching in admiration. Those people in the crowd look like patrons to me. <laughs> I forget <laughs> their patrons or friends or something. And she hits the... Um, target that now Zephyr is holding while holding on to two ropes, to two silk ropes, straight in the middle. So, you know, great aim, exciting all around. And she gets it directly in the middle. Everyone claps, they're like, woo, this is so exciting. And Kim is super excited. She's like, amazing. I remember going to one of the shows when I was little. Their work is unbelievable. And now Athena poses a challenge. Who among you would like to test their hunting skills against the unmatched Lady Artemis? And she's like, come on. She waves her hand to this little girl who's like, no, no, no. Don't be shy. She goes to these other little kids who are very cute. And then she turns to the APG. And she's like, perhaps one of you honorable officers. Which it's like, hmm. 
does she think they're honorable or is it just sarcasm and a way of saying, okay, uh, this is the role you play in the society and I have to pay you lip service, but really I detest mm-hmm. you. I get that impression. <laughs> it's like everything else that they said, um, like all the titles of people have been like, oh, the huntress and, you know, very kind of building people up. So to say like honorable officers almost seems kind of like a exaggeration, kind of like every other title that they've given. And it's also interesting that this is one of the first times that we don't have Lauren as part of the scene. So mm-hmm. we don't know if any of these are lies. Mm-hmm. So right. there could be a chance that if Lauren was here, we would know that Athena is mocking Kim, but we don't have that like clear indicator there. So we just have to use the subtext mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> Kim with no hesitation, like hold my watermelon. <laughs> and she shoves it at, at Will. <laughs> He's like Kim, no, because of course, Will. I cannot see Will doing anything like this. Will is not like a public spectacle <laughs> kind of person. He probably would be mortified. And Athena is like, oh, exciting! We have a volunteer. May we know your name, brave policewoman? And uh, you could you could like sense the dislike rolling off of her. Sorry. <laughs> and she says, Sergeant Liddell, at your service, Miss. Which you know, Kim, I believe is quite genuine about her service in the police. You know, she joined probably to do a good job and help people out of our hollies. So she's not picking up on Athena's mm, kind of like jives. And she's like, yeah, I'm here at your service. That's my job. Like that is my job as a police person. And that's my, what I'm going to do here right now with this performance. I think Will is just like mortified behind (laughs) her, thumping the watermelon on his face. (laughs) I think maybe um, Summit to like, taken note of was that uh Athena when asked for volunteers both time asked children but then it was Kim that like volunteered and then when they asked about the officer so it's very much kind of maybe Athena kind of sees it as kind of something like a kid like a game kind of you know to get children on stage it's kind of a you know a really fun thing you know when like there's a clown at a party it's very kind of like you know very child-friendly kind of kid-based whereas um I don't know there's, there's something about this seems very very false, very kind of exaggerated. Yeah, but like Athena also knows that these kids won't take them, take her up mm. on this offer, right? So yeah. she's just playing the show saying, oh, how about you? But her real attention is just to get mm. one of the officers up. And obviously Kim being Kim is <laughs> up for the challenge, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. I was like, did she expect one of them to come up and with the purpose of trying to humiliate them? And put them down in the eyes of society and say, hey, look, you can't do this. You know, like our APD is not as skilled as we think they are. They're not any better than us. Like, mm-hmm. is, was that her intention or did she like not even think they would do it? I, if even, even if they didn't do it, it would still play into it because she's comparing the APD with their Artemis. And just mm-hmm. like with the line by bowing down, this is her way of showing like, oh, if you can't even take up the challenge, you're not as good as us. And even if you do it, she's not expecting Kim to hit any of the shots. So mm-hmm. it's just mocking them and trying to get them flustered mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic psychology here. And Athena is like a round of applause for the dauntless sergeant. And there's like, like ha ha ha's from the crowd. And Athena winks and she's like, now, far be it for me to doubt your marksmanship, but for everyone's safety, you shall use a paint gun. And she hands her this like bright orange gun. And Kim's expression is like, hmm. And that is humiliating. Like this is clearly meant to put them down. 
Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that this um, paint gun reminds me of the banner for season two, mm -hmm. where we have the spread of Lauren and Kyrian. And in the foreground, we have a gun and a knife, and the gun's handle is all red as well. So now I don't know if like that is supposed to link to this because we we have no idea, but that's what I thought of the first time that I saw the paint gun. There's also something kind of like, I don't know, it's it's a very condescending energy that's going on. You know, Kim's the the sharpshooter. And obviously maybe Athena didn't know this, but Kim's a sharpshooter, you know, very good with a gun. And to give Kim something like a toy gun is very kind of condescending, very mocking. Also, it's bright red. It's it's not a neutered tone. It's very kind of in your face, you know. This is a paint gun and this is all you're going to use because we don't think you can do anything else, you know. That's kind of the energy I'm getting. And like it fits well with the circus because why would they give him a loaded gun, right? They're not going to give him that. So they're using the advantage of their little performance to mock the mm -hmm. Kim and just APD in general. Lucas is sad about this. He's, you know, in the shadows, like, what a pity. <laughs> He's like, ah, I wouldn't mind people being killed over here. <laughs> oh, my God. Randall. Oh, God. <laughs> Yep. So now Athena, you know, waves her hands and she says, you get three shots. The stage is yours, Sergeant Liddell. And please try to be precise. Zephyr told me last night this is his last shirt. So again, making fun of her. I love Athena. <laughs> and Kim doesn't even seem to notice the, the, the derision that Athena has. And I think it's because Kim doesn't have that in her personality. So she doesn't notice it. And a lot of times when people... Like, I know when I was saying earlier about the lies, like, I also never think people are lying to me because I'm like, I just don't see, it's not something that's on my horizon. So I don't think Kim doesn't notice it because she doesn't act like that to people. She doesn't have this scorn to others. She treats people with respect. So I don't, she doesn't even seem to notice that Athena is treating her this way. And she just says, and as a proud member of the APD, I shall protect the wardrobe at all costs. She just sees it as being humorous and is going along with it. You know, she is being one of the one of one of her. You know, going with her jokes, and she aims the pistol. We have Zephyr, you know, on the silk ropes, holding the balls at the target, and she bangs. And lo and behold, it lands straight in the center. And everyone cheers. Super exciting. We have these beautiful shots of you know people of Zephyr. She bangs. She shoots again. She has once again landed directly in the center. Everyone's excited and they're like incredible, outstanding. And Zephyr again, will she be able to keep the perfect score? This beautiful shot of Kim, who at this moment is not moving around. She has a very focused look on her face. She's, you know, everything behind her is blurred. She's intent and she is aiming that gun and splat, she lands straight in the center again. Nice. And I mean, the visual imagery is gorgeous because like, Zephyr is doing his thing and it's just really nice. And we have a, you know, we show definitively she has landed in the center for all of them. And Athena's like, and she did. The city of Arhalis is in good hands if such skillful officers are here to protect it. Eh, again, reeking of like sarcasm. <laughs> it's it's amazing, right? Like if you just have like a little bit of a certain tone or you're like a little over the top you know that you mean the exact opposite. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's these like extra words, like 
skillful officers, dauntless sergeant, like she's adding these modifiers that in isolation are good, positive words, but in this context is the exact opposite. There's a round of applause for our eagle-eyed local hero, Sergeant Liddell. She takes a bow, everyone's applauding. She comes off the platform, her fellow APD officers are cheering. <laughs> she just walks past Will, snatches the watermelon and continues chomping on it. And Will's just like, what? <laughs> Poor Will, adorable. And she's like, Lieutenant, have you forgotten about our patrol? She's just digging at him. <laughs> and Athena continues while they're walking away. She's like, so ladies and gentlemen, ready for our upcoming show? Do not forget to buy your tickets from Orpheus and Eurydice. Is that, I don't know how it's pronounced, but let's just fit in. The full show will be in Nightingale Park for the next two weeks. And we have a focus of um, Eurydice and Orpheus selling tickets. They say tickets here. And thank you for purchasing. Hope to see you around. And at this point, right, there's like, oh, you know, this is the public, public face that they put up. They're like, oh, thank you. They're smiling, very cheerful. But then you see Eurydice. Is that the, the, the female? Yeah, Eurydice is the female. Okay. She gives this side eye glance. It immediately looks very suspicious. She's watching the APD depart from the circus. And she says, can't believe Athena asked one of them to go on stage. She has a smirk. And that's, I guess, you know, because I know we knew this was going to happen. Like we also interpreted everything that happened in light of this. But you right away see like it's a us versus them attitude that the circus members have. They had a, a very antagonistic attitude. It's a, it's a, it's really like one of disgust. You know, it's mm -hmm. like they don't know these people at all, right? But they have this disgust for anyone in that position. You no, know, you know, without getting to know them as people, they're like APD, we dislike. And it's interesting because this tells us that whatever Athena did was just on the fly kind of promotion, that it wasn't run by the others. She, Athena just took it. She saw the APD, she saw a moment an opportunity and she took it. And in this case, it didn't really play out exactly the way that Athena probably wanted it to, but it gave them a show regardless. Yeah, so you can tell there is class, I don't like to say class warfare, but like class antagonism and distrust from this vignette. Ugh, it's highly uncomfortable to see. <laughs> but pretty pivotal to the story, so. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yep, so now we go back to the APD and we have this cot and we see, we hear somebody telling Lauren, it looks like they're shining a light in her eyes and someone saying, all right, Lauren, everything seems fine for now, but you should rest for the next two days at least and try to avoid activities that require high concentration if they cause any symptoms to worsen. So it's like the local APD nurse and she says, same thing for physical activities, <laughs> which is like telling Lauren to stop for two days is like very, very difficult. <laughs> yeah, literally everything that will make her symptoms worse is what she will do and is going to do and has been doing. So it's not like her lifestyle is really <laughs> helping her, her uh, physical pain right now. Yep. She continues, I'll write you a note for half shifts this week, and I strongly recommend you take frequent breaks. If your headache comes back, you may take two of these pills every four to six hours. And Lauren's like, thank you very much for watching over me today. I'll try to behave. <laughs> but she does recognize that she is not to uh, 
<laughs> compliant. Like the nurse or doctor is like, you better young lady. I would love not to have to see you again. You can stay here as long as you like, but you are officially free to go. She says, thank you. And as soon as she closes the door, like Lauren goes from being polite and, you know, putting on like a nice front to she just like collapses on the bed, grabs her head and says, what a train wreck. Oh boy. She's been putting this front since she's entered the APD because she, she knew that she was going to get questions. She's never late what's going on and going through all this ordeal is just almost as taxing as mm-hmm. her just telling the truth. Oh, yeah, she can never show like vulnerability also. She just has to put up this positive front. Hi, mm-hmm. poor Lauren. And at this moment, Kieran, our buddy, is passing by the infirmary and he walks by and then he scuttles back, looks through the window. He looks with um, a look of concern. So just saying, our boy has a heart. (laughs) And he sees Lauren (laughs) lying down there. And then he turns away. And you kind of see, like, it's hard for him to see her, you know, in that state, knowing that he was a big contributor to that. (laughs) Because he also doesn't know what happened earlier in the morning. So he probably thinks it's because of earlier in the cave or something else that caused it so he doesn't know what's going on exactly but he believes that he is the cause of her pain right now which partly he is but not entirely i reckon he's putting a lot of the blame on himself right now that's his personality right he despises Mm -hmm. himself for who he is and what he does and this is just adding to it Oh, poor Kieran. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't show her that he cares. He doesn't want to, he doesn't go in and say, hey, how you doing? Well, obviously he knows that she's just going to yell at him, but he isn't at the stage yet where he can even show the kindness that he has because that would be too vulnerable for him. And it's just too sudden, especially with their conflict and divide so early, like so recently, it's, it's impossible for him to reach out that's what happens when you get this moving profession reputation and lauren's like the patrol unit is almost back i can't let them suspect anything as if him breathing down my neck at the precinct isn't enough now the leader is officially after us i can't just ignore it the only way out is either through deception or death i need to talk to him she is recognizing the grim reality that faces her which is good because she called off the deal last episode. So she realizes even if I don't want to work with him, I have to work with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what happens when you get mixed up with sorted things. You can go in mm-hmm. and you can never leave. Mm-hmm. So it'll be cool how, how they address either through deception or death or both or what, what ways that they'll... <laughs> that they'll try to get out of both of them die and the story just ends (laughs) (laughs) i think it's i think it might be quite telling that lauren's are the only uh, way out is either deception or death so with that she never i guess she never explicitly says that she's choosing one of those you know Mm. and the the fact that she says like through either of them we may assume that you know she's talking about you know deception you know and working you know working against the not so much against the APD but with you know Karen it's very much kind of she never chose an option you know it, it 
she never explicitly said which one so it's very kind of you know is this going to be she deceives the APD for a while longer is it going to be that she keeps this going until she dies you know is, is that what's going to happen going in that she would have to lie to like her friends and family and like the APD now she has to lie also to like the purple hyatt <laughs> the purple phantom scythe I mean like yeah. <laughs> it's just non-stop oh, obviously it's much more scary to lie to them because mm-hmm. the APD like she can go to prison and she mm-hmm. can have you know social ostracization ostracization whatever but like phantom scythe it's like death okay. like yeah. murder torture yeah. murder and torture <laughs> of everyone you love you know like <laughs> these consequences are quite high <laughs> I think it's very conflicting how in the, the very very beginning of Purple Hyacinth um she was like she was set, tell, she was telling us about how like she was taught that lies were evil and she seemed very kind of adamant against lying because she could see them you know she's very adamant against it whereas now she's talking about deception is it's just something casual you know it's lying has become something completely different from what it was in the beginning and that's I kind I think that kind of plays into what she believes is her ideal world which is mm-hmm. a world where she doesn't have to see this red text and mm-hmm. the reality, which is it's everywhere. She's mm-hmm. the one that has some kind of power, but not enough to actually do anything. So mm-hmm. that's that's her dilemma there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would wonder. I never thought about that. Like, do you think Lauren would, would prefer not to have her ability? I think maybe. that she, I think that maybe she, you know, she's had it and it's given her like you know it's opened opportunities and it's helped her to to do certain things but I think that if she had the opportunity not to have it, I think she might take it because it's caused her probably more problems than it has helped because it's the it's a thing like it fits with the ignorance is bliss right like she even knowing more stuff she can't do anything with her position or her mm-hmm. power and there's always some sort of other obstacle that gets in her way to mm-hmm. doing the thing that she should be doing Right, whether it was aged when she was little or now that she's not a detective, she's a just a patrol unit officer, she can't do much. She can't yeah. follow the rules because how else would she gather this information other than say, Oh yeah, I just know it and no one's gonna believe mm-hmm. that. You must have such like a negative mental effect knowing that, you know, you know all this stuff and you know it's correct, but to tell other people and they don't believe you and you have to kind of keep it all to yourself, it must have like you know, because I, I doubt I can guarantee there's times where she's probably told, you know, Kim and Will, and they've probably doubted some things. Be like, oh yeah, okay, Lauren. They've kind of like doubted her a little bit. So I feel like it must have such a bad mental effect on her to have to know all this and nobody believe her. And we we've seen the way that she copes, right? The way that she copes is she goes super investigative in this way that she can find the evidence to back up the supernatural lies that she can find out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see with the bomb, or we see when. we get to the first uh, deaths. She mm-hmm. understands that she has to hone her observational skills to actually back up the evidence that she's picking up mm-hmm. to fit within the system that's existing. Mm-hmm. It seems like she'll just go to quite quite lengths to to prove that she's not just saying it. She is telling the truth, and she wants other people to see that. Mm-hmm. Let's end the episode, and I'm thinking maybe <laughs> inspirational. Do you want to end the episode with saying like five things you love about Athena? Oh, five things. She's got purple eyes. It's a nice uh, compliment color to uh, Lauren's pensive golden eyes. I like her outfit. I want to see her in casual clothes. I guess those kind of 
tie in together. I want to see more of Athena. And uh, her wink is pretty cool. And she has a little baton. That's also very cool. I hope we get more of her. Every, every, episode, every new episode, I just hope that we get a glimpse of some blonde chick with purple eyes. And I know it's Athena, so we'll see. We'll see when that wish actually gets, <laughs> when that gets granted. So I'll give her some praise too. She seems to be very authoritative and in charge, confident and good with crowds. That requires a lot of skill. And um, she seems to be a leader in that, in that circus. So some score for her on that side. <laughs> Definitely. Monique, you can chime in with Athena Sempery if you oh. have. <laughs> um, I think the she's very you know like like you said she's a very kind of confident kind of person but I feel like like I said earlier the red kind of she radiates so much power you know the whole red cloak on the red bow and the hat as well it's just there's just so much power that she holds it's she, she seems like such a very authoritative figure um you know and the fact that you know um when she was talking to Kim and she was inviting Kim on stage she just doesn't seem phased by anything you know like she asked some people to volunteer oh they didn't okay well let's ask these officers instead she's very on her toes and it's really nice to see and it's ironic because she holds so much power but the position that she's really in in society is very low mm-hmm. that we know of, right so even with who she is in society she still carries this almost like impressive charisma to do whatever she wants mm-hmm. yeah I realize now like I'm I'm basing my like assessment of performers being low status um I, I mentioned like I read the man who laughs and definitely in earlier time periods performers were considered low status even though people came to see them enjoyed them they were considered mm-hmm. like lower class I'm not sure if that's necessarily what Sof and F have intended because obviously now today performers are the the upper class they get paid billions of dollars to perform in movies and stuff like that so it's like yeah. roles have have reversed and but um definitely like traditionally performers work at their lower class so i'm just gonna stick with that for the purposes yeah. of this interview. and i mean like we know that they're part of great chapel so there's that and we don't actually know how much anyone other than redcliffe actually climbed the ladder because all we know is that redcliffe bought a title that we don't know anyone any of his subordinates or anyone that he's worked with how far they've went up I'm sure they have like a house you know comfortable living now but mm-hmm. that doesn't say much about their actual status in society mm-hmm. I think it's uh I also think it's quite ironic that traditionally people in circus circuses are seen as quite low class but all their names are Greek gods and goddesses who are very high authority figures and very high figures and idolized so it I think that contrast is really nice to have yeah, that's actually great. You know, people, when, you know, they may have very well chosen those names as a way of giving themselves power that they didn't feel they had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, that's a good point. You know, where they're like, oh, we're the low class, but we're going to show you that we're, we're really better than you and we're going to have power over you because we're like the gods. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. This was a great episode. Um, I didn't realize until we analyzed it how much symbolism there was in it so thanks for <laughs> for being there to help uncover it of course thanks well, thanks thank for having you us. so much for having us yeah our pleasure awesome awesome see y'all later <laughs> bye bye thank you so much to my current patrons 
Susie Lady Libris, Lily Jenny Haley, Maria Molly Veronica, Emily Emily, Joe Rochelle, Saucy Tuggles Meg, Ann Rose, Priya Alexa Misty, Laura Joanne Patty, Jen Emilda Esther, I'm watching your tourist Poppy Seed Marie, Jen Emily Jean Jen, Erin D. K., Lily Beckett, and Miranda. Your support is truly appreciated.